welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, welcome to the Addiction Connection. This is episode four, one of a series of three talks that's going to be done by one of our friends. And uh, I think this is just a little bit of a break for all of us from the COVID-19, which has basically sucked the air out of everything. And uh, hopefully we can find some enjoyment in talking about something a little more interesting uh, today. So we have Dr. Charlie Reznikoff, who is an addiction medicine physician and hospitalist in the Twin Cities. So today he's going to talk about songs about heroin and opioids by people who actually use them, both the intoxication state and the withdrawal state. The next episode will be about recovery by those who are in recovery. And Kurt, do you have something you'd like to say? Well, I was just going to say that, uh, just remember, we don't edit this. So if, if Dr. Reznikoff <laughs> says something really, uh, really funny, we're just going to leave that we're in We're going to leave it. And then we'll round out the series of three with songs about heroin by people who never actually used it. Okay. I'm super excited to be here. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about this topic. And, and before we started, you asked me, he's like, what got me started on this? And I'll share with you a few songs that I heard recently that really got me going on it. But I would I would say as early as when I was a teenager, I heard one of these songs, and I'll call it out when we get there. And I was like, wow, what is that person singing about? And I'm a teenager, and I'm already kind of intrigued, not just with the music, but the topic, heroin addiction, don't use heroin. And it was maybe like one of those early signs to me like, hey, I'm interested in addiction medicine. You know, I was really intrigued by this element of music going way back. So I'll, I'll call those out when I get to them. Yeah, and of course, I'm just wondering what years those would have been, Charlie. <laughs> uh, uh, late 80s. The late 80s. Late 80s, I was rocking out. So Kurt was already having his over-the-hill birthday party, and I was in, like, <laughs> elementary school yeah. still. Okay, got yeah. it. <laughs> for, yeah, for the listeners who know about this stuff, I went to the first Lollapalooza ever. Uh, it was, like, in 91 or 92, and Nine Inch Nails, a, a band I'm going to talk about, played it. Played, I played it, so I saw them live, and that was exciting. Jane's Addiction, I might make reference to. They were there. They were headliners. So, yeah, I was I was really into rock and roll as a young, a young lad in the late 80s and early 90s. So should we dive in? Dive in. Okay. So this one, this this podcast is going to be about people who used opioids, um, and they created songs that captured their opioid use, and they created songs that capture opioid withdrawal, heroin withdrawal. And the thing I just have to say, warning: a lot of these songs are actually kind of hard to listen to. They're like like challenging, uh, and they're people that are trying to create their grief or their intoxication in their music and it's interesting art but a lot of these songs until i realized what they were really about and appreciated the meaning i kind of i don't know they're a little hard to listen to so you yeah i I didn't like some of them they made me kind (laughs) of nauseous sometimes exactly i I wanted to be a surprise so i have not listened to them yeah (laughs) yeah i have i have like a curated uh, playlist on spotify i think we might have some clips of the music in this podcast but you can also separately go to uh, i'll post it on my page maybe the addiction connection will post a playlist and then as you hear the songs i'm sure you can whatever streaming source or even youtube you can listen to these on your own so a, a few themes that I want to like call your attention to before I start listing songs. The first is um, when singers who use heroin 
sing a song about heroin or opioids, it's always this like dreamlike, creepy calm. It's like they might be singing about something sad, but their voice is really calm. There's often no percussion or there's like no beat to it. It's you're like in this weird dreamlike state. And the vocals are often have slurred speech and the vocals enter behind the beat. So the vocals are a little delayed. It's really weird. And it's it's funny. You'll hear this from the 1930s to like just recently. I'm going to take you through all those decades and this the themes are the same because they're using opioids. So the effect is on them is the same. And then opioid withdrawal. The key to that is listen for the drums because you have these pounding drums that are like a pounding heartbeat that you have with opioid withdrawal. And the singers are often like yelling or screaming or they sound awful. And the opioid withdrawal sounds is just really, it's hard to listen to. I mean, it really is. Especially when you've like met patients in opioid withdrawal. I guess I'm wondering what the effect on your own dopamine level would be. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, some of these do a really interesting job of like... uh, dissonance, tension, and then release. So like um, there's a, we'll get to a Rolling Stones song where they really build a lot of energy and where he's asking for one more shot. I want one more shot of morphine, sister morphine. And then when that shot comes in the song, the song relaxes. And it's it's very interesting the effect it has on you. But um, yeah, these will literally affect you viscerally if you listen to them. They're awkward songs. And then if you listen to the, the lyrics... There's a bunch of themes in the lyrics. So when I started reading these lyrics, it was, a, it was amazing. The commonest one is likening opioid addiction to a troubled or abusive relationship. And they'll often, the, sometimes the heroin addicts, you know, they don't want to say I'm addicted to heroin. So they sing a song about an abusive boyfriend. And that's a metaphor for their heroin addiction. And you'll see that over and over, um, a controlling relationship, that kind of thing. Um, they'll often say, so, oh, you got some? Well, I'm just wondering if, if uh, that would also apply to people you might work with. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just wondering because, I, I mean, I, maybe I should be writing yeah. a song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Please, no. Yeah. Uh, also, they always mention in the songs this thing going to their head or hitting their brain or swimming around in their, bre- in their brain. So going to my head is, is a common one. They always make references to hot, cold, cold sweats or feeling hot or uh, the flame or the fire, things like that. Of course, the, when you when one uses opioids, they get a warm flush over their body. But then more importantly, when you're in withdrawal, you have hot and cold sweats. And those are references to that. A lot of stuff about spells being cast on you, going to hell, curses, prayers, this feeling like you're not in control of your own actions. So someone has cast a spell on you. Um, you're sort of being controlled by another power you don't understand. Um, a lot of people will sing about losing yourself, like not even being in control of yourself, nullifying your life, ceasing to exist. And that's a reference to death, but also just like destroying your own existence. The co- black and the color brown, those get mentioned a lot. And I think it's both like black, like I have a terrible fate awaiting, like I'm uh, fatalistic or hopeless, black, um, but also black tar heroin. And brown sure. heroin. And so there's a lot of reference to black and brown. Um, and then a couple more things, a lot of talk about money, being in debt, being in trouble with money, going to the pawn shop, things like that. A lot of talk about getting on track, tracks, going to the main line. I mean, songs of totally different genres from totally different decades. We'll talk about mainline, meaning uh, uh, the train track, but also injecting into a big vein. 
digging ditches, going down in a hole. Those are all references to like, it could be like digging your own grave, but it could also be like the needle going into your body, digging a ditch with the needle. Are there are there any of these songs where an artist would have done songs about heroin and then done also songs about recovery, the same person? Um, good question. I think, yes. I, I think we can get to some of those with the jazz guys. I don't know about with rock and roll. There might mm. be some. That's a good, that's a good question. Um, yeah, we'll get to some examples of artists that have different songs over the course of their career and yeah. they sort of evolve. I'll, I'll try to get to that. Um, and then finally, there's a lot of times you'll hear references to spikes. The spike could be the spike of drug going to your head, but more likely the needle that goes in your vein. And a lot of the times you'll hear them say like pins. And pins could be like this feeling of withdrawal, but also the needle that goes in your vein. So those are all sort of language to listen to. Okay, so I'm going to dive into actual examples. Awesome. So the first one, I'm doing this chronologically. And maybe what we should do, yeah. Charlie, yeah. you know, we, and we, to be clear for everyone, we're not quite sure at the moment whether we're going to put the songs right after his descriptions when we edit them yeah. in, uh, whether we can actually do that if they're very short. If not, as he said, we will have those posted so that you can actually listen to them. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so yeah, the first song that I'll go to is Billy is by Billy Holiday. And if you don't know, Billy Holiday is like maybe the greatest jazz singer in fact maybe just the greatest jazz musician she's an amazing musician and she used her voice as an incredible instrument but it, the first time you hear Billie Holiday you're like well something's kind of off about how she sings it sounds a little like flat and out of tune and behind the beat but she was literally high for all those requests. I mean she was bad bad into heroin addiction so Billie Holiday is important she had a really troubled childhood she was told by her mom to work in a brothel not as a sex worker but cleaning up in a brothel before she was 10. Oh, good she, Lord. Yeah, I mean, it was terrible. And in that brothel, she heard jazz musicians like Bessie Smith, whatever. Um, and then later she got into very sexually exploitative relationships with men. So she had a really, really challenging life, very abusive romantic relationships, a lot of trauma. And we all know, you know, trauma predisposes to opioid addiction. She was really into cannabis and alcohol from an early age, but already by 1940, as a young woman, she got into IV drug drug use. So, and she's, you know, becoming very famous. So the story with her is interesting. There's this, uh, the top DEA guy, it wasn't DEA back then, it was the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, but the top DEA guy named Anslinger got this idea in his head that black jazz musicians, they're all using heroin and we, and it's the devil's music. And so this Anslinger guy went on like a one-man crusade to lock up all the heroin-addicted African-American jazz musicians. And he specifically went after Billie Holiday. I mean, he went after her, and he got her. And so he, he, he incarcerated her for a year. And then after they get incarcerated, they lose what's called their cabaret card, which allows them to play in New York City clubs, which allows them to make a livelihood. So, she, so he ruined her. Like, he, he incarcerated her. He pursued her. He took her, car, he took her ability to perform music away. Um, and so she, and then after that, she never fully recovered. She was able to do some gigs outside of New York City, but it never really amounted to much. She ultimately died of cirrhosis. Um, actually, before she died of cirrhosis, she was hospitalized for cirrhosis. She smuggled, uh, reportedly, heroin into the hospital bed, and, and she used heroin 
reportedly in the hospital. So that's like if you work in a hospital today, in a metropolitan area at least, for sure. Right. You, you see that happening, people smuggling, and it's from way back when. And so she died in 1959. Very oh. challenging. And she had this quote, and I wanted to read this quote because it's like, this is Billie Holiday in her memoir in 1956, and it's like, could be, someone could say this today, and it's just spot on perfect. Imagine if the government chased sick people like who had diabetes, put a tax on their insulin, and drove them into the black market, told doctors that they couldn't treat people with diabetes. If we did that, everyone would know we were crazy, yet we practically do the same thing every day um, to sick people who are hooked on drugs. And it, it's just like, she just nailed it in 1950s. She's like so, a big premonition of the yeah. future. Yeah, she's... she's Really way ahead of her time. Oh, no, she's she's super special. So you listen to any of her songs and you hear someone intoxicated. I chose the song to highlight is You Go to My Head. And again, it's about a troubled relationship and you go to my head. And in it, she talks how this person or this drug has cast a spell over her. You go to my head and you linger like a haunting refrain. Uh, and I find you spinning around in my brain like the bubbles in a glass of champagne. You go to my head like a sip of sparkling burgundy brew, and I find the very mention of you, like the kicker in a julep or two, the thrill of the thought that you might give me a thought to my plea, cast a spell over me. And uh, so listen to that song and hear her slurring her speech and her delayed delivery and her sort of creepy mellow tone, and you hear someone struggling with opioid addiction. And to be clear, if it's going to happen, it's going to be, well, it's going to be on right now. And yeah. if it's not, well, that means you gotta you pause. need to go to Spotify yeah. and pause this. <laughs> or YouTube. Or you whatever. won't last very long yeah. into this song. Yeah. Personally, I fast-forwarded it numerous times because I just got this it's creepy, creepy yeah. nauseous feeling yeah. the whole time. Yeah, the, the, the next song's not on Spotify, but it is on YouTube, and it's a, a Janis Joplin song called Codeine. Um, Codeine, um, Janis Joplin, okay, so she, when it, she was a child, she was bullied. She was obese, and she got bullied for being overweight, and she was ostracized. So she had a very sort of traumatized childhood as well. Um, then she left and went to San Francisco. She got addicted to many drugs, heroin, amphetamines, barbiturates. She was in a bunch, bunch of drugs. She died of a heroin overdose in 1970. And um, there was other drugs on board, but it was presumed to be primarily a heroin overdose. And apparently she had gotten a stronger-than-normal batch of heroin. Someone had given her potent heroin which, of course, we know is how many people die. They get a stronger-than-normal batch. So she, in 1965, um, covered a song called Codeine. And the original artist who did the song Codeine, I'm going to talk about in a different podcast, but she took this song and rewrote the lyrics and sang it in 1965. And I'll just, I'll just read it to you. This is Janis Joplin, already addicted to opioids, singing kind of, uh, an angry code, uh, angry uh, song towards Codeine. And again, if you know Janis Joplin, she's got this kind of wild vocal style. Mm -hmm. She's a little bit out of control, and she sounds sort of slurred and almost intoxicated when she's singing this song. The reason I breathe, honey, the reason I walk, it's the reason I sleep and the reason I talk, yeah, but soon my devotion will all be repaid, for Codeine will kill me, honey. That's the bargain we've made. And it's real, Lord. Yeah, it's real. One more time. She says, one more time, like I'm about to go use opioids one more time. Right. So she just, in 65, she calls her own death. I mean, she says, it, I'm, this is going to get repaid. Well, you know, if you think about it, what's the uh, what's the metabolite of morphine? It'd be, well, codeine. Codeine, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. So, she, so it did help kill her. Yeah, yeah. So we'll come back. So footnote and codeine, we'll come back to that later. The next song that, 
I, I, I want to call out, actually not even song, an artist, Lou Reed. So Lou Reed uh, was the lead singer and one of the primary musical creative forces in Velvet Underground. If you don't know the Velvet Underground, it was abandoned in the 1960s. People say about the Velvet Underground, their first album sold 30,000 copies. Everyone who bought a copy formed a band. And so the Velvet <laughs> Underground was like, didn't sell that much, but was hugely, hugely inter- influential. And basically many types of rock and roll over the next decades started with the Velvet Underground's early albums. But they were really experimental musicians and they did some wild stuff. Lou Reed was the singer. Lou Reed um, had social anxiety disorder and panic disorder. And, you know, he was either bisexual or gay or had sexual orientation he struggled with sexual orientation and when he was a teenager his parents put him in a psychiatric hospital to cure him of all this and he received electroshock therapy uh so this is guy had a tough tough childhood by the time he was out of psychiatric hospitalization he went to college he was already using and selling heroin and amphetamines so this guy was deep in it he was still a teenager he was deep in it iv drugs um ultimately he contracted hepatitis c he got cirrhosis he had a liver transplant, and he died shortly after his liver transplant in 2013. Oh, wow. So he lived quite a while, and he had a very productive career. And he, but So what, what he did is he, he sang explicitly about drugs. Um, go so ahead. Did, I was just going to ask if you know he had the liver transplant. Did he ever write about or do a memoir or music or something later on about being in recovery or looking back oh, on yeah. those years. Oh yeah, and to to Kurt's question earlier, he he had some he has some of the most fantastic songs about recovery. So in the 1980s on uh, album, so first he was a member of the Velvet Underground and they went from like the 65 to 70. And then from 1970 on, he was a solo artist and very successful and prolific. Um, in the 1980s he has an album called Blue Mask and he has a song called Underneath the Bottle. It's a it's a rock and roll song, but it, if you like rock and roll, it's a, just a fantastic song. And two, it's like one of the best songs I've heard about recovery from alcoholism underneath the bottle. So he, yeah, so he got, Lou Reed's an amazing musician. How many uh, years of recovery did he have? Ah, boy, I, you know, he was pretty into it through the 70s for sure. But I think in the 80s, he turned the corner and sobered up more. And in the 80s, you could see it in his music. He started talking about it with a different light, less glorifying it, more talking about it as, you know, realistically but troubled. Um, so, yeah, I think in the 80s is when it turned for him. Um, but I don't know that for sure. He definitely was ongoing with the drug use through the 70s. Um, what uh, he is most notable for musically, there are three songs, and I'm going to focus on one, but there are three songs, and he would just say directly, he would just describe drug use. He's not glorifying it, but he's also not warning you. It's like a slice of life. He's just describing what his life's like. He's just describing what he sees. He did that with other topics. He would talk. He would sing songs, uh, Walk on the Wild Side. It's about sort of a transgender prostitute. He would do that just like straight up. This is in the 1970s he's doing this. It's crazy. So anyways, the three songs, one is called Heroin, 1964 released. The other is called Waiting for the Man waiting for the man to give him heroin. And the third is called Perfect Day. Uh, So start with heroin, and that's the one I want to focus on the most. Heroin is hard to listen to. Man, I did not like that song until I understood what it was about. But what what he does in heroin is it's like a seven-minute song, and he starts out super chill, super mellow, no percussion, dreamlike. He's high. 
He starts out high, and then as the song progresses, progresses, the opioids start wearing off, and the percussion comes in and starts thumping like a heartbeat, and he starts sort of yelling, and there starts to be this awful dissonant guitar sound. Sounds terrible. So he starts <laughs> going to withdrawal, and he starts begging about you know shooting up again, and then the music calms down again. So you literally go through a whole cycle of intoxicated, withdrawal, and then using again and calming down again. And to be clear, this was during the time he was using. Yeah, he was using. Yeah, he was using. Yeah, he was using all through the 60s and 70s. So, uh, so uh, in... Is there, is there any history out there? I wonder how many times he recorded that song until he had the perfect... Oh, I don't know. You know, if that That's was actually how it happened. I mean... That's a good question. He had a... Re- the Velvet Underground was a really talented group of musicians. So I, I don't know how many times... The, the history that I know is like, people were like, are you freaking kidding me? You're going to, in 1964, you're going to release a song called Heroin that doesn't warn anyone against heroin use. Like, at least Janis Joplin was warning people. Don't, you know, I'm going to die from this. He doesn't even warn. He's just like, this is my life. So people were like, are you kidding me? But he got it on the album. The album was, uh, was involved Andy Warhol, the famous artist. So he had some, like, this album took some doing to get released because it was so um, cutting edge. It was really avant-garde for his time. Um, and using music that way to emulate your intoxication state was very avant-garde. Um, so here's what he says. I don't know just where I'm going, but I'm going to try for the kingdom come. If I, if I can, because it makes me feel like I'm a man when I put a spike into my vein, and I'll tell you, things aren't quite the same. Heroin, it'll be the death of me. Heroin, it's my wife, and it's my life. Because a main line into my vein leads to, leads to a center in my head, and then I'm better off dead. Wow. Pretty intense for 1964. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It's almost like you could have got arrested for that back then, and then yeah, just no saying joke. it. Yeah, no joke. Yeah, it was very controversial. Um, the next two songs, I'll move quickly through. The next one is a more straightforward Velvet Underground song. You could actually listen to it and enjoy it as a rock song. It's called <laughs> "Waiting on the Man," "Waiting for the Man," and in "Waiting for the Man," it's like it's got a thumping beat. It's got like an anxious energy. It's the sound of someone looking for drugs. So listen to that song. This is yeah. So, it's that one. I, I I actually listened to the whole song, yeah. and it was like you, you felt excited, like that. Yeah. I'm getting ready to go to Disney World kind of song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's got a little propulsive energy to it. He's looking for drugs, and so this is what he says: Here he comes. He's all dressed in black. He's dressed in black. This yeah. is black, like black tar heroin. Here he comes. He's all dressed in black. PR shoes and that big straw hat. He's never early. He's always late. First thing you learn is that you're gonna have to wait. I'm waiting for the my. I'm waiting for my man. I'm working. Up to a brownstone, brownstone apartment, but also brownstone, like brown tar, hair, brown heroin. Up to a brownstone, up, up three flights of stairs. Everybody's pinned. You know nobody cares. Everybody's pinned means they've all inject heroin. He's, he's got the works. The works is the use for um, the, the injection kit that you use. You call that the works. He's got the works. He gives you a sweet taste. Then you got to split because you got no time to waste. I'm waiting for the man. So... That's that's 1967. And then the final song by him is Perfect Day. Originally Perfect Day, that was a solo song in the early 70s on the same album that has Walk on the Wild Side. Um, it's called uh, Transformer is the album. Uh, Perfect Day is uh, originally like a 
a cynical love song. What a perfect day I'm going to spend with you. It's like you hate your loved one and you're stuck hanging out with him <laughs> or her. And he's like, oh, what a perfect day we're having together. This is this is freaking great. That is like every day at work. Yeah. With Kurt, yeah. <laughs> what a for another perfect day with Kurt Devine. <laughs> oh, geez. But then that, that song was reinterpreted as like, a, a, like sort of a love song to heroin. What a perfect day. I'm stuck with you, heroin. I love yeah. you, but you're you're killing me. Um, and it was used in the movie Train Spotting about heroin addiction in a in a very specific scene where the person's you know I guess using heroin. So it's such a perfect day. I want to spend it with you, but super cynical. So that's the third one. Next song about opioid use is by none other than John Lennon of the Beatles. Okay, so John Lennon of the Beatles. Um, his story, so the Beatles actually used reportedly amphetamines early in their career to like have a lot of energy and to go on tour and to be sleepless and to play long shows. And so they were using amphetamines. And then uh, supposedly Bob Dylan introduced the Beatles to marijuana. So then they were using marijuana. They grew their hair out, whatever. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, more on this guy later, but James Taylor. James Taylor was a terrible, terrible addicted to heroin bad, bad case of heroin addiction. And he was spreading it around. The Laurel Canyon, LA, there was like this Laurel is this like area near LA where a lot of creative types, um, a lot of musicians and uh, movie um, sort of actors would hang out. Charlie Manson. I was going to say, isn't that where the Manson yeah, that's house where and yeah, murders yeah, exactly. are? I want to yeah. party with that guy? Yeah. No. So so, so anyways, uh, John uh, James Taylor and the Laurel Canyon crew was spreading heroin around, introduced John Lennon to heroin in 1968. At the same time, his, I think, girlfriend, I don't think he was married yet, Yoko Ono, had a miscarriage. So he, so Yoko and him suffered a miscarriage, and they were devastated by that. James Taylor gives them heroin. He's kind of primed because he's already fooling around with drugs. Um, so And he gets terribly addicted. There's a lot of reasons why the Beatles broke up, and I don't know all the details on it. But supposedly part of that breakup was how badly addicted to heroin John had become. And he became sort of unmanageable to work with, with John um, eventually, actually, incidentally, John reportedly, John Lennon uh, became a methadone maintenance patient, surprisingly. Oh, interesting. But in the 70s, there were long periods of time where he was just reclusive. Like he just shut himself for years in his house. Him and Yoko just shut himself and just did drugs. So he was, he was very troubled. And of course, as you probably know, John Lennon died of homicide in 1980. Um, and, but he wrote this song in 69 and got like an all-star group of musicians, I think maybe even Eric Clapton was on this. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, to, to, to play the song Cold Turkey. And um, Cold Turkey is, boy, I don't think I appreciate how awesome of a lyricist John Lennon is. I mean, he's like, like you know, Paul McCartney wrote the music to Eleanor Rigby, and John wrote those lyrics. And mm. John, he's just like, the lyrics for Cold Turkey are spot on clinical describing opioid withdrawal. It's like, he nails it. But this is another song that's hard to listen to because it's he's like the the thumping beat is like a racing heart rate. The guitar sounds distorted and terrible. And at the end of the song, Lennon is literally screaming into the microphone. He's screaming as if he's in heroin withdrawal. Um, so this is not a fun listen, but it is spot on. And so of course, he, at, at this point, we would probably insert that song if we can actually do it. Oh, yeah. You got to yeah, go listen to the end of that song and you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is, if you don't know what opioid withdrawal would be like, listen to the end of this song. It's gnarly. So he says, <laughs> temperature rising, fever is high, 
I can't see no future, can't see no sky. My feet are so heavy, so so is my head. I, I wish I was a junkie, I wish I was dead. Cold turkey has got me on the run. My body is aching, goose pimple bone. Don't want nobody, leave me, un- leave me alone. My eyes are wide open, dilated, dilated pupils, pupils, dilated pupils. Uh, uh, my eyes are wide open, can't get no sleep. One thing I'm sure of, I'm in at I'm in at the deep freeze. Cold turkey has got me on the run. 36 hours, which is like, yeah, 36 hours from last use of heroin, yeah. urine withdrawal. 36 hours rolling in pain, praying to someone to free me again. Oh, I'll be a good boy. Please make me well. Make me well. Uh, I promise you anything to get me out of this hell. Cold turkey's got me on the run. What wow. year was that? That was 69, I think. 69. Wow. So very explicit. Um, ready for the next one? We're ready. Rolling Stones, Sister Morphine. Ah. So Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, like one of my favorite albums by then. I love that whole era of Rolling Stones, but Sticky Fingers has three songs about heroin on it. Uh, Brown Sugar, which is about an African-American woman he may be in love with, but also about heroin because brown sugar is like the heroin. Um, Dead Flowers, I'll put Dead Flowers on Your Grave. Opium. Which, opium, yeah, like poppy seeds, poppy plants, and, and Sister Morphine, which is the most explicit. So if you just just going back in time, um, the Rolling Stones had lost one of their their first guitarists, Brian Jones, to an overdose. He was found well, he's found dead floating in a pool, and he had drugs in his system. So some mix of drowning and overdose, right? And so the, and this and shortly after that, they replaced him with a really talented guitarist, um, Mick, Mick Taylor, I think. I don't, uh, Mick, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and uh, and they went on. They actually had their heyday next and they wrote a lot of these songs about um drugs and they were you know they'd had a bandmate die of drug overdose and drowning keith richards i'll just talk about him (laughs) (laughs) keith richards he looks good yeah oh yeah he's looking really good uh he's alive it's amazing that is amazing well that i'm not sure that's proven i think that's inconclusive (laughs) right conspiracy partly involved uh so, so he had been arrested uh, multiple different times, starting in 1967 for drug possession, including heroin, but other drugs as well. Um, Keith Richards said of himself and that he wrote a memoir a couple of years ago, I looked upon my body as a laboratory. I used to throw this chemical and then that chemical um, to see what would happen. And I was intrigued by that. And Keith Richards would still say, or has recently said, um, the reason he didn't die is not because he used drugs, it's because he used Pure drugs. He got oh. high purity drugs, and that's the reason he's still alive. Mm. Sure, yeah, I've that, heard that before. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't hurt to have pure drugs, but I think he also got lucky. Uh, but anyways, he did a lot of drugs. So, uh, Sister Morphine. I think one of the interesting things about this. So, Sister Morphine's another one of those songs that starts dreamlike. This is a great song to listen to. Super beautiful song. It's really easy to listen to. Um, it starts out really mellow and really sort of chill, kind of got that calmness like someone who's on opioids. And it's describing uh, someone who's dying in a hospital bed and is just asking for morphine for relief of their dying pain. So it's like a hospice situation. But they use that as an analogy for heroin addiction because in a sense, if you're heroin addicted, you're like dying slowly. That's the analogy. Um, so if someone's in their hospital bed dying slowly, begging for morphine to kill their pain as they die. And it starts out in this sort of dreamlike state. And then in the late in the song, the drums kick in finally. And when the drums kick in, 
Mick Jagger starts begging for another shot, another shot. And that's when that drum kicks in and starts beating hard. He says, give me another shot, just one more shot. And when he gets that one more shot, the drums leave again and the song calms down again. So if you follow the trajectory of the song, you can hear um, sort of an opioid stupor followed by a little bit of withdrawal, begging for more opioids, followed by getting high on opioids again. Mm. So, And the lyrics go like this. Here I lie in my hospital bed. Tell me, Sister Morphine, when are you coming around again? Oh, I don't think I can wait that long. Oh, you see that I'm just not that strong. The scream of the ambulance is sounding in my ears. Tell me, Sister Morphine, how long have I been lying here? What am I doing in this place? Why does the doctor have no face? (laughs) I love that that line. (laughs) Oh, I can't crawl across this floor. Ah, can't you see me, Sister Morphine? I'm trying to score. So it starts out as a, ho- a guy in a hospital bed, and by the end he's saying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to score. And then also, late in the song, he says, hey, cousin, cousin cocaine, I think he says. Oh, <laughs> so he switches from Sister Morphine to Cousin Cocaine. Which, which makes me wonder why you haven't got to Eric Clapton yet Oh and, yeah. and cocaine. Yeah. I don't know. You know, Eric Clapton saying more about, was some of these guys are more into the, uh, the uppers. Uh, then and then the uh, then the opioids. So so Clapton was. I'll talk about Neil Young in the next podcast. He was yeah. saying about heroin, but he was a cocaine and marijuana user. Interesting. Um, so then comes the New York City punk rock scene of the seventies, and a lot of these punk rockers were hooked on heroin, um, and uh, including in England as well. The the hubs of punk rock was London and, and New York City, and and many of these guys, like I think Sid Vicious, died of a heroin overdose, and. He was in the Sex Pistols in London, but a lot of these New York City guys were addicted to heroin as well. So one guy who was addicted to heroin is D.D. Ramone. If you if you like punk rock, you know the Ramones. The Ramones. Ramones. Yeah, I, you know I actually saw the Ramones with my brother. Uh, <laughs> and just to tell you about that time in my life, I was like, Joe, do you remember the time we saw the Ramones together? He's like. No. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we were there together. He's like, were you there? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember it. I think I think I saw them. I saw the Ramones. I saw these guys. But Dee Dee Ramone wrote a song called Chinese Rocks. And I guess now that we have the Chinese virus, it's it's trendy to blame China on things. But Chinese Rocks is about heroin. And so Dee Dee Ramone uh, wrote this song, and he proposed that the Ramones play it, but they rejected it because it was just too explicitly uh, about drugs, and they didn't think it was the right thing. So then he took this song and he went and he proposed it to a band called uh, Johnny Thunder and the Heartbreakers. Uh, and Johnny Thunder was in the New York Dolls, so that it's another punk band. Anyways, so Johnny Thunder and the Heartbreakers took the song of Dee Dee Ramones and he recorded it. Uh, they recorded it. And then later it was such a hit for the, the Heartbreakers and this is not Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. This yeah, is right. a different Heartbreaker. That's a different overdose. Yeah, <laughs> Tom Petty. I was looking for songs that, you know, Free Fallen. Could that have been about withdrawal? I don't know. I just couldn't find a Tom Petty song that... There's a lot of songs about marijuana with yeah. Tom Petty. Uh, but whatever. Anyways, so this isn't that Heartbreakers. This is different Heartbreakers. Uh, and they sang this song, um, Chinese Rocks. And then the Ramones later recorded it as Chinese Rock. Um, they're oh. both punk rock songs. They're both similar. They have some su- subtle differences. Um, the, Johnny Thunder, who is the singer for the first version of the song, he enrolled in methadone, methadone maintenance. And uh, in 1991, he died of a presumed methadone overdose. Wow. Uh, and then Dee Dee Ramone, heroin addicted, he died of a heroin overdose in 2002. So the theme here, all these guys die. They all die. Cirrhosis, overdose, homicide. Almost all of these guys. It's sad. Very sad. Uh, so the lyrics to this one 
pretty simple. It's a punk song. I'm living on a Chinese rock. All my best things are in hock. I'm living on a Chinese rock. Everything is in a pawn shop. My plaster's falling off the wall. My girlfriend's crying in the shower stall. It's hot as a bee. Uh, I should have been rich. Now I'm just digging a Chinese ditch. And there's that dig in the ditch. Um, and that's uh, and that's Chinese rock. So there's two versions of that song. They're both good punk songs. Crazy. The punk era. Yeah. I, I was there. Oh, I saw yeah. it happen. Yeah. So you guys were, was, were probably not born. I was in diapers probably yeah. at that point. In a different podcast, I'll <laughs> talk about the hardcore, the 1980s hardcore movement reacting to the excesses of the punk. So there was actually some straight-edge hardcore artists that were sober playing hardcore music, singing about sobriety. I'll talk about that in the... Devo, maybe? Uh, Fugazi, Minor <laughs> Threat, and uh, Bad Brains. Uh, so good bands. We'll talk about that next. Okay, <laughs> next one. I'm jumping ahead a little bit to Amy Winehouse. Oh, Amy Winehouse. Again, like, Amy Winehouse, if you listen to her voice, it's got a better, like, tempo behind it, but her voice is eerily like Billie Holiday's way back when. It's a little bit weirdly calm. She slurs her words. She comes in a little behind the beat. I think she really emulates um, Billie Holiday in some ways. And as, as you know, if you know about Amy Winehouse, and there was a documentary about her, she she had like a troubled relationship. She had a lot of you know mental health challenges. She got addicted to alcohol and heroin. Anyways, she sang this song, Back to Black. What is black? She's going back to black. Maybe black is her dark place, her depression. Maybe black is alcoholism hitting the bottle. Maybe black is black tar heroin. And uh, anyways, the song is about how when her her boyfriend leaves her, he goes back to his ex-girlfriend and she leaves her alone. She goes back to black. So she relapses after a breakup. So me and my head high and my tears dry, get on without my guy. You went back to what you knew, so far removed from all that we went through, and I tread a troubled track. There's that track again. My odds are stacked. I'll go back to black. So she gets she gets dumped by her boyfriend. She goes back to her depression. She goes back to her drug use. So that's wow. yeah, that's a it's a powerful song. It's a great song. I didn't include from this from this album rehab. I don't want to go to right rehab. Oh, no, no, no. That was more explicitly about alcohol, but that's another great one that Amy Winehouse sang about drugs. She had one of those voices you just can't forget. Yeah. Either. I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. She is. Yeah, great, great singer, incredibly talented. So she died of actually alcohol poisoning in 2011. Um, I think you guys have sure you've seen this. I see this a lot. The person who's addicted to alcohol and heroin. And they may be always using one or the other. If you get them off heroin, they hit the bottle hard. You make them stop drinking alcohol, they go back to opioids. And she was like, kind of like that. She was off heroin, but she was hitting the alcohol really hard. I'm going to end with music that I, makes me feel old because I do not understand lean rap. Uh, <laughs> lean rap makes me feel old. I don't get it. But I remind myself, I geek out to Billie Holiday. When Billie Holiday put her first songs out in 1938, it was this, like, probably sounded awful to people who were expecting Ella Fitzgerald. And when Velvet <laughs> Underground put put uh, heroin out, it sounded like this weird avant-garde sound. It sounded terrible. Um, and But I love that stuff now. But um, uh, I feel about lean rap like I just don't get it. I don't like the sound. Anyways, lean rap was a genre of rap music that came out of Houston, 
the Houston rap scene. And that was starting, you know, as early as the 90s, but really in the last 10, 20 years. Um, and this rap genre explicitly endorses code, drinking coating cough syrup, purple drank, Sizzurp, and that's not the maple Sizzurp that, uh, that Kurt's, <laughs> that that Kurt's, Kurt's paying me off with a bottle of Sizzurp. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maple Sizzurp. It's purple Sizzurp. <laughs> oh, I wish. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, Sizzurp, Dirty Sprite, Purple Drank. It's codeine cough syrup mixed with Sprite and Purple Jolly Ranchers or whatever. And it's basically drinking codeine. Um, a ton of these artists have died. A ton of these artists have died from from overdose and so like a t- you know dj screw big Bo, pimp c all these rap artists all died in their late 20s or early 30s from opioid overdoses um so i you know there's a couple songs here that i would call out um uh it probably surprised you that i have all those albums yeah for, yeah you and oh, that they're not making albums anymore just say, yeah right yeah eight <laughs> tracks kurt no they don't yeah, the, the b-side <laughs> of that album you have to turn it over uh, turn your turn your iphone over to get to the b-side of the album of the i've album seen him it. do that yeah <laughs> uh yeah well before i get into the two songs one of the rappers uh rapper future said of dirty sprite he said this is a quote in 2006 at first it wasn't something I loved. It wasn't until I discovered what I loved about it. Some people take drugs, and they don't understand the high. They take it just to be high. It started making me more relaxed. Some, sometimes you experience anxiety, and it, and it did me some good for that. I don't feel like I ever abused it. I used it for what I felt I needed. In other words, he's self-medicating his anxiety. Exactly. You know, and, and that's a super common theme. It's, it's amazing how these artists are so articulate about their... Um, the cause of their drug use. So I'll, I'll quickly give you the lyrics of two of these lean rap uh, songs. And uh, anyways, it's, it'll be funny hearing me try. Are to, you? Yeah, you're yeah, rapping them? Yeah, no, right. I'm not going to rap them. <laughs> okay. Uh, do I need one, to do a beat for you? Yeah, yeah. One is boom, by boom, D. Boom. D yeah. No, there is no beat in these songs. Oh, okay. They, they're, they're like weird distorted, distorted vocals and they're weird like otherworldly sounds. It sounds weird it sounds like they're singing in some kind of weird dampened echo chamber it's it sounds like people that are high on codeine or like kurt driving his cadillac singing (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so uh dj screw and big mo sang a song called sipping codeine in 1996 they both died of a codeine overdose i sip codeine it makes a south side playa lean makes me lean stacking green (laughs) Steady stacking green, steady sipping codeine, screwed up click representing that H town with it and with it, it's going down, representing that south side, that H town, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So they're, they're like just sipping codeine. You know, both those guys died. Yeah. But I, I find it really interesting that somebody that potentially was financially well off would be kind of mesmerized by codeine when... You know, most people are going to go up the stack. Yeah, that's you know, interesting. They're going to yeah. move up to morphine. They're going to move up to heroin. Yeah, it's like this weird, this weird cultural thing to drink these codeine cough syrup drinks. I yeah, I don't, I don't fully understand it. Uh, they they could have escalated. Yeah, they didn't. You know, and they died of the of the codeine. Yeah, ASAP Rocky in 2011, mm. Purple Swag, world full of haters, very few real. So I opened my mind and stacked my chips. Lollipop grind. So you think about lollipop grind. How many licks till you get to the bottom of the lollipop? So he's he's got a whole lot of licks, is what he says. Um, from paper planes to a house made of bricks, big old cup with codeine mix. So I'm so I'm so thrilled, and I'm still getting lit, and everything is purple, baby. So it's 
ah, these guys are explicitly sort of thinking about endorsing their codeine cough syrup. You know, it's funny because when you said the pops, it's, I was thinking the fentanyl pops, you know, they had for all those years where you had the suckers that were. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if that was it, a reference. It could be. I don't think ASAP Rocky was on hospice with his fentanyl suckers. <laughs> well, I, he might have gotten some. <laughs> I, got, I take care of a patient now who used those for many years yeah, and he crazy. was in his thirties. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so yeah, anyways, that's a list taking you from Billy Holiday to ASAP Rocky. And, you know, you listen to ASAP Rocky and you think about some of the distorted vocals and the slowed down vocals and the late delivery, and you can hear a little bit of the Billy Holiday, even though they're totally different genres, different decades, they're both high on opioids. So it has the same effect regardless of your genre or the era. It's very interesting that, yeah, across... All different types of music, you can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So you stay tuned because there's a couple more. So that's the wrap up. That's the wrap up. With ASAP Rocky rapping. Oh, yeah. ASAP Rocky, uh, in one of his lyrics, I want to end with it's time to stop discussing Robitussin. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, again, uh, we want to thank. Uh, Charles, I'm going to call him Charles. Charles Reznikoff, our our resident uh, addiction doctor and hospitalist. Uh, and this is just the first of three. So uh, join us again next week, and we'll uh, we'll hit his next topic. All right, thank you. As always, stay connected.